This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is gratitude and happiness. In the first half, Elder Larry Lawrence shares his BYU devotional address, Choose Happiness. Then in the second half, Ray Huntington shares thoughts entitled, A Grateful Heart. Here's Elder Larry Lawrence. Last October, I was assigned to speak in General Conference. I decided to speak about perfecting our lives so we could eventually become like our Father in Heaven. In my talk, I invited the Saints to participate in a spiritual exercise. I suggested that members take the time to humbly ask the Lord the question, What lack I yet? and then wait for a prompting from the Holy Ghost. In the weeks that followed, as I visited stakes around the Church, members came up to me and said, Elder Lawrence, I tried the suggestion you gave in your conference talk. I asked the Lord what I needed to improve, and I got a clear answer. Simavian shared with me the specific direction that they received from the Lord. It was interesting to learn that many saints have been prompted to be more cheerful, or to smile more often, or to count their blessings. I am convinced that more than anything else, our Heavenly Father wants His children to be happy. Latter-day prophets have taught that happiness is the purpose of our existence. Joseph Smith understood this principle. In spite of all of his challenges, he chose to be happy, maintaining his cheerful disposition to the end of his life. One who knew him well described the prophet as always wearing an unconscious smile. I've known people like that, individuals who are continually smiling without even realizing it. Their faces reflect genuine inner peace. When I speak at state conferences, I look around the congregation for one of those happy faces to focus on. A smiling face in a crowd of strangers is a great comfort. What is the secret of inner happiness? The obvious answer is righteous living. But besides being temple-worthy, what are some ways you can increase the joy in your lives? Modern-day prophets have shared helpful insights. For example, President Gordon B. Hinckley taught, the more often a person says thank you, the happier he will be. It might be a worthwhile experiment to keep track of how many times you say thank you in a typical day, and then make an effort to increase it. The theme of gratitude has been addressed by every Latter-day prophet, and more often than almost any other topic. Our inspired leaders know that being grateful leads to happiness, and they are compelled to remind us. In the scriptures, we are commanded to thank the Lord in all things, and that means to thank Him for trials as well as for obvious blessings. If we look close enough, we discover that there is always something to be grateful for. For example, one BYU co-ed suffered with the stomach flu all during the week of Thanksgiving. But she tried to keep a positive attitude. She recorded in her journal, I lost five pounds this week. Life is good. (laughs) Besides expressing thanks to our Father in Heaven, President Thomas S. Monson has encouraged us to also thank our friends and family. He said, We often take for granted the very people who most deserve our gratitude. Let us not wait until it is too late for us to express that gratitude. 
Several years ago, there was an inspiring story in a popular sports magazine. It was about a professional football player named Dion Branch. He was a wide receiver for the New England Patriots for 11 years, and during that time played in three Super Bowls. The, the article pointed out that many professional football players go out drinking and get hammered in the days leading up to the Super Bowl. They find various ways to deal with the stress, and many of these ways are not praiseworthy. But Dion Branch had a different way of preparing himself for the big game in 2005. He picked up his phone and called every coach he ever had. He called his junior college coaches. He called his high school coaches. He even sought out the phone numbers of his peewee coaches and reached out to them. He made 13 phone calls in all. He called these men to say, thank you. Thank you for caring about me enough to teach me. Thank you for making me run stairs. Thank you for believing that I could do this. He thanked his college coach for not giving up on him when his grades were bad. Dion stood only five feet nine inches tall, so he thanked his high school coach for never saying that he was too small to play football. These phone conversations were very meaningful to his coaches, but they also invigorated Dion Branch. He felt so motivated that he played his very best, leading his team to victory. He was named the most valuable player of the Super Bowl in 2005. Have you ever had a rush of gratitude come over you? Did you make a phone call or write a note or take time for a personal visit? Have you experienced the happiness that comes from saying thank you and feeling it with your whole heart? My father died of cancer when I was just 18 years old. I was not yet a member of the Church, and I didn't have the sensitivity that the gift of the Holy Ghost can bring. I never really took the opportunity to thank Him for all that He had done for me before He passed away. Now, I wish I had thanked Him for coaching my Little League team and for teaching me not to lose my temper when our team didn't win. I wish I had thanked Him for working with me night after night when I was learning to read in the first grade. I wish I had thanked Him for teaching me how to work and to value family. Please don't make the same mistake that I made. Thank your parents often while you still have the opportunity. It doesn't matter if your parents are not perfect. They still changed thousands of diapers and provided countless meals for you. They taught you how to walk and to talk and a million other things. They gave you plenty of rides and even let you learn to drive, practicing in their car. They must have encouraged you to study, otherwise you would never have been accepted here at BYU. They deserve your heartfelt thanks, and someday you will realize it when you are doing all these things for someone else. The prophet Nephi expressed gratitude for his parents in the very first verse of the Book of Mormon. He praises them by saying, I, Nephi, born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father. What a sweet tribute to Lehi and Sariah. An excellent way to express gratitude is by giving sincere praise. Praise lifts both the giver and the receiver. Mark Twain said that he could live for two months on a good compliment, and I think most of us feel the same way.
God showed us the importance of giving praise by His own perfect example. At the baptism of Jesus, Heavenly Father announced, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Himself gave many compliments during His ministry. Some of them are recorded in the scriptures. Remember when he first met Nathanael, who later became one of the twelve apostles. The Lord praised Nathanael's honest character by saying of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. When John the Baptist was in prison, the Savior made a point of praising this good man publicly. Jesus said, Among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. When a Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant, the Lord paid him the supreme compliment. He said, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in all Israel. And don't forget Nephi, the son of Helaman. One day when he was especially discouraged, the voice of the Lord came to him and delivered these words of praise. Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unwearyingness declared the word which I have given thee. Behold, I will bless thee forever. If we truly want to emulate the Lord, we need to be looking for the good in others and then voicing it. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, of good report, or praiseworthy, we should be seeking after these things. Praise is a precious gift that costs the giver nothing. So if you see something, say something. In his classic talk, Beware of Pride, President Ezra Taft Benson warned that whenever we withhold gratitude and praise that might lift another person, we are manifesting the sin of pride. On the other hand, when we point out the good in others, the Holy Ghost helps us discover the good in ourselves, and everybody wins. While our six children were growing up, we often played a game during family home evening that encouraged them to give and receive compliments. Every family member took a turn sitting on the, in the chair that was designated the hot seat. Then we went around the room, and each of us said something we admired or appreciated about that person in the hot seat. For example, comments were made like, Case always shares his things with me. Or Brooke does her homework as soon as she comes home from school. Or McLean, he is really funny. He can make me laugh when I'm having a hard day. You get the idea. We noticed that whenever we played this game, the Spirit would fill our home with love. I am sure that heaven approved of this family tradition because the Lord has commanded us to strengthen our brethren in all our conversations. A newly called bishop understood this principle and used it to strengthen his ward members. As each family came to his office for tithing settlement, the bishop asked the father to introduce his wife and children. Fathers were invited to tell the name, the age, and something they especially loved about each family member. As soon as these introductions got underway, the Spirit grew stronger and stronger in the room. Tears appeared in the eyes of fathers, mothers, and children. Sincere compliments from parents mean a lot. Sometimes they are remembered for a lifetime. Even when a compliment comes from a complete stranger, 
it can make your whole day. My niece told me about a difficult time when she was a single college student. The whole week had been a disaster, and she was feeling lonely and discouraged. While saying her prayers one morning, she asked Heavenly Father to help her feel His love that day. After praying, she was prompted to go to the temple, so she put on a dress and fixed her hair. On the way there, she passed an older woman who stopped and, smiling, complimented her beautiful, wholesome appearance. The gracious stranger had no idea a few kind words from her had delivered a message from heaven. My niece immediately felt the, a feeling of love wash over her and realized that her morning prayer had indeed been answered. An elderly widow shared a similar sweet experience with me. She opened her front door one wintry day to find a handwritten note left on the doorstep. It read, I just wanted to drop you a note to tell you how much I admire you in all the roles you have played as a mother, teacher, wife, and an example of a daughter of God. Thank you for being you from a friend and admirer. The anonymous note from a thoughtful neighbor took only a few minutes to write, but the message will lift that faithful widow for months to come. Years ago, President David O. McKay gave this valuable counsel to Latter-day Saints. Strive to make somebody else happy and see how quickly your own soul is filled with joy. When I was called as a general authority, my first assignment was to move to Moscow, Russia. I was very humbled to serve in the area presidency, especially as I thought of the history of that area. The countries in Eastern Europe were formerly under communistic rule and many of the old attitudes still prevailed. President Russell M. Nelson was assigned to advise our area. He has a wealth of experience, having opened Russia and most of the surrounding countries for the preaching of the gospel. Although he lived far away in Salt Lake City, I communicated with him on a regular basis via email or by phone when I served as the area president. I was constantly reporting what was happening in Eastern Europe and asking for his inspired counsel. After several weeks, I began to see a pattern. Whenever I received an email from President Nelson, it contained more than just excellent advice. It always included some complimentary words and a positive message to encourage our presidency. His example made me want to lift others just as he had lifted me. I learned that kindness is contagious. I also learned that our modern-day apostles emulate the Savior in their lives, especially in the way they treat others. They are turned outward, not inward. I remember the first time I met President Hinckley. I was attending a luncheon held at the church office building. By some tender mercy, I found myself seated at the same table as the prophet. During that lunch hour, I observed that he rarely talked about himself. He was more interested in learning about others. He directed the conversation by asking questions of each person at our table. Somehow he knew that I had served as a mission president in Siberia, so he asked me how the Russians heat their big apartment buildings in the wintertime. He was a very gracious listener, sincerely interested in everyone and everything much like the master whom he served. 
Consider the unselfish life of the Savior. Think back to the night when he was arrested in Gethsemane. Even after suffering and bleeding from every pore, Jesus was not thinking just about himself. He was sensitive to others. When he saw Peter smite off the ear of one of the guards, Jesus reached out, touched the fresh wound, and healed it. Keep in mind, this was a guard who had come to arrest him. When he was dying on the cross, our Lord showed more concern for his beloved mother than for his own suffering. The dying Christ used up his last bit of strength to arrange a home for Mary, asking John to care for her when he was gone. Try to imagine meeting the Savior in person. How would he greet you? Would he be slouched over looking intently at his cell phone? Or would he smile and look right into your eyes? I believe he would call you by name and make the conversation about you. He would offer reassurance and help. Most of all, I believe he would radiate love. In the earliest account of the first vision, Joseph Smith recorded that having met the Father and the Son, he was filled with love for many days afterwards. Someday we will meet Jesus and feel his profound love for us. Until then, we have many lessons to learn. There are going to be both smooth days and rough days throughout our lives. But the Lord has commanded us to repeatedly to be of good cheer. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland observed that we are more guilty of breaking that commandment than almost any other. Sometimes we just plain choose to be grumpy. At those times, we turn inward instead of outward. My wife and I served in Russia on church assignments for a total of seven years. We treasure the memory of our time there, but there was one thing that we could never quite get used to. Russian people on the streets and in the stores always wear a very serious expression. They avoid making uh, eye contact or smiling with others. Their cold outer demeanor comes from living under a communist regime for many decades. During the Soviet era, people learned not to call any attention to themselves. They just tried to blend in. Their guarded behavior in public became a part of their culture. For this reason, we were amazed at the warm greeting we received whenever we attended ward and branch meetings on Sundays. What a contrast! Those Russians who had joined the Church were very friendly and welcomed us with open arms. They had smiling faces, and the light of Christ shone in their eyes. We realized why the Church members were so kind and outgoing, because that's what the gift of the Holy Ghost does to people. Jesus taught, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We learned for ourselves that the saints in Russia were true disciples of Christ. I was baptized when I was a young medical student at the University of Arizona. The first time I attended church meetings at the LDS Institute, I looked around hoping to find a familiar face. Thank goodness another medical student recognized me and came right over to say hello. His name was Phil Freestone. Phil sat with me and introduced me to other church members. It's not easy 
to be a newcomer, and Phil's friendship meant a great deal to me at this important time in my life. I came to understand what the Savior meant when He said, I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Latter-day Saints who are guided by the Spirit should be the most congenial people on earth. I hope the BYU campus reflects that same spirit of friendliness. Every student should feel welcome here, while at the same time going out of his way to welcome others. It takes very little effort to say hello, but whatever you do, you make the world a better place. Today I have pointed out a few practices that can lead to greater happiness. Smiling more often, expressing gratitude, looking for and praising the good in others, welcoming the newcomer, and reaching out to those who need a friend. Let me also share with you some practical advice that can be found in the scriptures. I read an account of a young man who had experienced some severe personal trials. In the course of a few months, his brother died. Then he lost his job, and finally his girlfriend broke up with him. Although he was feeling misunderstood by his boss and somewhat betrayed by his girlfriend, he didn't lose his faith. In fact, he prayed for the Lord, to the Lord for counsel because he really wanted to be happy again. After praying, he opened the scriptures, determined to act on whatever verse he found. The book fell open to the 88th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Almost immediately, he recognized the call to action contained in these words of Scripture. Cease to be idle. Cease to be unclean. Cease to find fault one with another. Cease to sleep longer than is needful. Retire to thy bed early that ye may not be weary. Arise early that your bodies and your minds may be invigorated. And above all things, clothe yourselves with the bond of charity. As the young man pondered this counsel and applied it to his own situation, he realized that he could no longer sit around moping. He needed to be anxiously engaged in a good cause, like finding another job and another girlfriend. There was a lot about his life that he decided to change, including his sleeping habits. He also decided to pray for the gift of charity. This timely advice helped him put the past behind him and look forward to the future. All of us need a little cheering up sometimes. Book of Mormon readers are often surprised when they come to the chapter where Nephi is grieving over his imperfections. He expresses himself in these words, O oh, wretched man that I am! Most of us on a good day wish we could be as wretched as Nephi. <laughs> His sorrowful lament makes us wonder, why do good people, even prophets like Nephi, occasionally feel discouraged or unworthy? Let me tell you a fable about the devil that offers some perspective. The story goes that Satan went into his garage one day and noticed that everything was a complete mess. He couldn't find what he was looking for because there were so many rusty tools lying around, cluttering up the place. Satan decided on a solution. He would have a garage sale. He cleaned up his old tools and offered them at a discount price for other devils to purchase. Some tools sold right away. For example, 
the hammer of hatred, the wrench of fear, and the clamp of addiction. They were very popular items. When he was asked why he was selling off so many of his tools, Satan explained that he had decided to concentrate all of his personal efforts on bringing down the Latter-day Saints. He preferred to use his favorite tool on them. What do you think it was? It was the wedge of discouragement. Satan boasted about it, saying, With this one tool, I can inflict major damage on the faithful. Discouragement works wonders every time, even when nothing else will. It can bring misery to the most conscientious souls, those that are striving to keep the commandments. Then Satan, using his favorite tool, went about whispering lies. To the humble followers of Christ, he said, You are worthless. You never do anything right. Give up. No one cares about you. You can never change. Sadly, many good people believed him. There is a lesson to be learned from this fable. The devil specializes in discouraging the faithful and those who are trying to repent. For that very reason, church members must continually lift and encourage each other. Don't forget that Satan wants all men to be miserable like unto himself. Jesus, on the other hand, wants men and women to receive a fullness of the joy. In summary, Jesus votes for us, Satan votes against us, and we cast the deciding vote. It is my prayer that each of us will use our agency to choose happiness. I bear my witness that our Father in Heaven loves us, and He wants us to be happy, even as He is happy. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is gratitude and happiness. We've just heard from Elder Larry Lawrence. After the break, we'll return with Dr. Ray Huntington for A Grateful Heart. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today's theme is gratitude and happiness. Next, we'll hear Ray Huntington, professor in the Department of Ancient Scripture with a grateful heart. In the latter part of the 19th century, Johnson Oltman, Jr., a Methodist preacher, penned the following words, which we know as the hymn, Count Your Blessings. I quote from the second verse, Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. I know those words are familiar, and I believe you accept them on place value. Counting our blessings and being grateful for them has a positive impact, not just upon our lives, but also upon the lives of those we show our gratitude. Remember what Mark Twain said, quote, I can live for two months on a good compliment, close quote. It now appears that some psychologists have arrived at the same conclusion. Being mindfully grateful for our blessings and expressing gratitude has a strong correlation with increasing our personal happiness and well-being. For example, 
Dr. Robert Emmons, a professor at the University of California at Davis and one of the leading scholars in the scientific study of gratitude, said the following, quote, It is possible a psychology has ignored gratitude because it appears on the surface to be a very obvious emotion lacking in interesting complications. We receive a gift from friends, from family, from God, and then we feel pleasurably grateful. But while the emotions seem simplistic even to me as I began my research, I soon discovered that gratitude is a deeper, more complex phenomena that plays a critical role in human happiness. Gratitude is literally one of the few things that can measurably change people's lives. Close quote. Dr. Emmons and his colleagues found scientific proof that people who practice gratitude through activities such as keeping a gratitude journal are more loving, forgiving, and optimistic about the future. They exercise more frequently, report fewer illnesses, and generally feel better about their lives. For example, in a 10-week study, Dr. Emmons randomly assigned participants into one of three groups. One group of participants were encouraged to briefly record five things they were grateful for each day. A second group was asked to describe five hassles or negative events that had happened to them each day. And the third group was simply asked to list five events, but were not told to emphasize the positive or the negative. Before each participant wrote about their blessings or hassles, they completed a daily journal in which they rated their moods, their physical health, and their overall well-being. The moods they rated included feelings like distress, excitement, sadness, stress, and happiness. Well, their physical health included ratings such as headaches, sore muscles, stomach pain, nausea, coughing, sore throat, and poor appetite. The participants also rated how they felt about their life, selecting from descriptions ranging from terrible to delighted. The results of the 10-week study are impressive for the gratitude group. Gratitude participants felt better about their lives and were more optimistic about the future than people in the other two groups. The gratitude group also reported fewer health concerns, like headaches, and spent significantly more time exercising than people in the other two groups. According to the scale Dr. Hemmons used to calculate well-being, the people in the gratitude group were a full 25% happier than the participants in the hassles or the neutral group. In subsequent studies, Dr. Emmons also reported that people who regularly kept a gratitude journal and were in the habit of recognizing and expressing gratitude for their blessings reported feeling closer and more connected to people, had better relationships, were more likely to help others, felt less lonely, less depressed, slept better, and were more pleasant to be around. Another psychologist, Dr. Jeffrey Froh, summarized the practice of gratitude in this way, quote, As gratitude involves wanting 
what one has rather than having what one wants. Instilling a sense of gratitude may help appreciate the gifts of the moment and experience freedom from past regrets and future anxieties." Indeed, over the past decade, there has been a growing body of scientific literature linking the practice of consistent or chronic gratitude with a host of positive outcomes for our lives. Said one researcher, quote, The practice of gratitude is incompatible with negative emotions and may actually diminish or deter such feelings as anger, bitterness, or greed. Close quote. It is little wonder, then, that both ancient and modern philosophers recognized the value of gratitude. From the Roman philosopher Cicero, who stated, quote, Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others, close quote. To David Steindl Rost, a Benedictine monk, who penned these beautiful words, quote, The root of joy is gratefulness. It is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. I appreciate the academic contribution to our understanding of gratitude and its impact on our well-being. I also know the scriptures and the words of prophets and apostles, both ancient and modern, teach us a great deal about gratitude and the need to cultivate a grateful heart. Through studying the doctrine of gratitude, we can be instructed and motivated to develop a gratitude attitude in our lives. Remember Mormon's commentary including uh, regarding Alma's mission to the Zoramites. And now, as the preaching of the word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just, yea, it had had more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else which had happened unto them. Therefore Alma thought it was expedient that they should try the virtue of the word of God. What then is the virtue of the word of God as it relates to gratitude? Given our time today, I would like to look at three scriptures and a few supportive passages, which I believe form a central part of what I would like to call God's constitution of gratitude. My first scripture, Psalms 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. In a similar statement, the psalmist also said, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The earth and all of its creations, everything, belong to God. His ownership and blesses us with his possessions even the gift of life. Yet I sometimes feel a sense of entitlement and find myself thinking about what I created, what I purchased, and what I own—property, car, food, clothing, and my health. But in reality, brothers and sisters, I have created nothing. I own nothing. As the psalmist points out, the rightful owner is Heavenly Father. He who graciously bestows his creations 
including the air I breathe, for me to use in the short season I am here in mortality. That kind of heavenly divine benevolence deserves our highest gratitude and praise. King Benjamin clearly understood this principle of God's ownership and our indebtedness to him, as he so beautifully explained in the Book of Mormon. And now in the first place he hath created you and granted unto you your lives for which ye are indebted to him. And secondly, he doth require that ye should do as he hath commanded you, for which if ye do, he doth immediately bless you, and therefore he hath paid you, and ye are still indebted unto him, and are and will be forever and ever. Therefore of what have ye to boast? And now I ask, can ye say aught of yourselves? I answer you, nay. Ye cannot say that ye are even as much as the dust of the earth. Yet ye were created of the dust of the earth. But behold, it belongeth to him who created you. In another verse, King Benjamin said, and I'm paraphrasing, If we were to muster up all of the thanks and praise we could possibly give, that would still be insufficient given the multitude of blessings we receive from God. King Benjamin was not saying, well, you can't possibly thank God for what he has given you, so why even try? On the contrary, I believe he was saying that we ought to do our very best in thanking God and rendering our heartfelt thanksgiving to him every day of our lives. In relation to this, I like what President Joseph F. Smith said, quote, The grateful man sees so much in the world to be thankful for, and with him the good outweighs the evil. Love overpowers jealousy, and light drives darkness out of his life. Pride destroys gratitude and sets up selfishness in its place. How much happier we are in the presence of a grateful and loving soul, and how careful we should be to cultivate through the medium of a prayerful life a thankful attitude toward God and man. Close quote. My second scripture, Doctrine and Covenants, section 59, verses 7 and 21. Thou shalt thank the Lord thy God in all things, and in nothing doth man offend God, or against none is his wrath kindled, save those who confess not his hand in all things and obey not his commandments. Does God need our thankful hearts and praise? Is Heavenly Father dependent upon our gratitude? Do our thankful prayers make God holier, wiser, or more omniscient? Absolutely not. Why then is it a commandment to be thankful in all things and acknowledge God's hand in our lives? I believe Joseph Smith gave us the answer to that question when he stated, quote, God has designed our happiness. He never will institute an ordinance or give a commandment to his people that is not calculated in its nature to promote that happiness which he has designed. In short, we're commanded to thank God in all things because it promotes our happiness and well-being. Grateful people are happier people. If that were not the case, God would not command us to express our thanks to Him and to others. 
He loves us and desires our happiness, and He knows that expressions of gratitude to Him and those around us will bring positive changes to our lives. As our Father, that pleases Him. President Thomas S. Monson understands the connection between gratitude and happiness and often speaks about this topic. In a recent conference address, he stated, quote, Sincerely giving thanks not only helps us recognize our blessings, but it also unlocks the doors of heaven and helps us feel God's love. President Monson also said, quote, To express gratitude is gracious and honorable. To enact gratitude is generous and noble, but to live with gratitude ever in our hearts is to touch heaven. Close quote. I love President Monson's choice of words. Gratitude unlocks the doors of heaven, and to live with gratitude ever in our hearts is to touch heaven. As I have tried to live with a more grateful heart, I have felt the divine, experienced God's love, and felt humbled. I've also witnessed and felt gratitude's heavenly touch through other people, like an elderly Catholic nun my wife and I met in the city of Bethlehem. From 2007 to 2009, my wife and I had the privilege of working and teaching at the BYU Jerusalem Center. During that time, we met a host of wonderful people—Christians, Muslims, and Jews—who influenced our lives in profound ways. On one occasion, we were invited by one of the Jerusalem Center service couples who oversaw the Church's humanitarian program in the Holy Land to visit an orphanage in Bethlehem. The purpose of their visit was to determine needs and the appropriate assistance from the Church. The orphanage was located in a residential neighborhood in Bethlehem near the Church of the Nativity. As we entered the building, the first sounds I heard were those of little children. We passed several rooms filled with small beds and noticed newborn infants lying in cribs and small children playing with one another. I also noticed a shortage of adult staff compared with the number of children I could see. Our meeting was with the director of the orphanage. One of the most impressive people I have met in my Middle East travels, a diminutive elderly Catholic nun from France. Though small in stature, she was large in heart and spirit. As we visited with her, we learned about the history of the orphanage, the number of children cared for, and the challenges of feeding and clothing so many precious children. There was no doubt the orphanage had its challenges. I noticed, however, as she described the needs of the children and the shortage of staff and materials, there was not one word of complaint. Her speech was often punctuated with, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. After the humanitarian couple had assessed needs, they asked this little nun if the orphanage could use supplies like powdered milk, newborn kits, and other necessities for older children. She excitedly replied, Anything will help us. Anything will help us. As arrangements were being made for shipping and delivering of the needed goods, she sat quietly in front of us with her hands clasped as if she were in the act of praying and repeated the words, Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Her gratitude was real and heartfelt. Her expressions of thankfulness touched me deeply. And I often think of this experience when I want to live a moment when I saw gratitude's divine nature. Her example of a grateful heart amplified the words of the psalmist when he declared, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. My third scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you wonder what God would like you to be doing every day? The Apostle Paul declared that it is to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks in everything. Paul's writings are filled with admonitions to be grateful, to give thanks, and to live in thankfulness. His counsel encouraging us to be more thankful is especially inspiring when you stop to consider that this was a church leader who was scourged, receiving 39 lashes, beaten with rods, left for dead after being stoned by his countrymen, shipwrecked three times, spending one night and a day in the water, bitten by a deadly snake, betrayed, betrayed by those he thought were his friends, falsely imprisoned, suffering weariness, hunger, thirst, cold, and in peril of robbers. And I've been depressed over losing two football games. I believe Paul's statement, in everything give thanks, is his counsel to recognize our blessings and practice gratitude in the worst of times, even in adversity. Yet you and I know that finding and counting our blessings during challenging times can be difficult. As someone once said, quote, The hardest arithmetic to master is that which enables us to count our blessings." The gratitude math can sometimes be difficult when life assaults us with unexpected hardships and trials. Life's challenges, some serious, some less so, are common to all of us. In those challenging times when there does not seem much to be grateful for, President Monson wisely counseled us. Quote, Our realization of what is most important in life goes hand in hand with gratitude for our blessings. Said one well-known author, Both abundance and lack of abundance exist simultaneously in our lives as parallel realities. It is always our conscious choice which secret garden we will tend. When we choose not to focus on what is missing from our lives— but are grateful for the abundance that's present—love, health, family, friends, work, the joys of nature, and personal pursuits that bring us happiness. The wasteland of illusion falls away, and we experience heaven on earth." Studies have shown, brothers and sisters, that focusing on the negative in times of adversity using derogatory or critical words as we talk to ourselves or others, can darken our mood and much like a virus infect the mood of those we interact with. Consciously choosing to fill our mind with thoughts of our blessings 
and feeling appreciation for those blessings can change the way we feel and brighten our spirit during difficult times. Even spending a few minutes thinking about our blessings, even numbering them, as we walk from class to class can add a little sunshine and encouragement to our life. So simple a practice, yet so powerful. What then are some ways we can recognize our blessings, increase our thankfulness, and practice gratitude? Briefly, I would like to suggest five. One, try keeping a gratitude journal. Think of three to five blessings you have experienced throughout the day or the week and record them in a gratitude journal. Look for blessings from the mundane to the magnificent. Before writing in his gratitude journal, Elder Henry B. Eyring ponders the following question, quote, Have I seen the hand of God reaching out to touch us or our children or our family today? Close quote. As he faithfully kept his gratitude journal, Elder Eyring said, quote, Something began to happen. As I would cast my mind over the day, I would see evidence of what God had done for one of us that I had not recognized in the busy moments of the day. As that happened, and it happened often, I realized that trying to remember had allowed God to show me what He had done. Close quote. Remember, looking for our blessings will help us focus on what we have rather than on what we do not have. As the Greek philosopher Epictetus reminds us, quote, He is a wise man who does not grieve for the things which he has not, but rejoices for those which he has. Close quote. Two, add more thank you to your vocabulary. Saying thank you to someone brightens our day by affirming our positive feelings. It also lifts the spirits of those who are deserving of our thankfulness. Three, take time to write thank you notes and letters of appreciation to people who have blessed your life. John Kralik, an attorney with a struggling law practice and personal family problems, determined to reverse the cycle of negative thinking through writing and sending one thank you note each day of the year, 365 thank you notes total. His note-writing endeavor taught him a valuable lesson. Blessings can be easily overlooked unless we are consciously thinking about them each day. To that end, note-writing helps us identify, remember, and express our blessings. It's a good practice. Number four, live in the present moment and try to give thanks for small blessings encountered every day of our lives. As busy students, it's easy to get caught up in the tomorrow, next week's exam, next week's project, the paper due next Tuesday, the upcoming holidays. And while it's healthy to plan and prepare for future events, if you are too consumed with the tomorrows, there's a chance that you will miss something small and wonderful that's happening to you in the present moment. David Steindl Rost posed this question, quote, Are we thankful or are we grateful? Could it be that the mystic gratefulness in the depth of every human heart 
sings with a still, small voice, and is easily drowned out by the noise we endure and the noise we make. Sometimes living in the future can produce just enough noise to miss the still, small voice of gratitude we could find in the present moment. A short illustration. A few weeks ago, I was waiting in the Chicago O'Hare Airport for a connecting flight to Salt Lake City with two of my colleagues, Blake Boatwright and Vance Theodore. As we were seated near our gate, reading and relaxing before the last leg of our journey, I was interrupted by a rather enthusiastic black Labrador dog, sniffing around my briefcase and other belongings I had on the floor. A police officer was standing nearby, and I immediately recognized the dog as a sniffer dog, looking for drugs or the residue of explosive materials. While the dog moved rapidly from person to person, sniffing purses and carry-ons, it returned to my briefcase for a second check. After a few sniffs and what seemed like 100 wags of its tail, the dog and the police officer disappeared. Short time later, a second sniffer dog stopped by our gate to check things out as well. Now I could have, the, uh, now I could have dismissed, dismissed the experience and continued to focus on my reading or thinking about preparations for the following week in school. Instead, my mind turned to the present moment, and I began to think about the two dogs and their training. They were there to make sure everything was in good order. They were there to ensure my safety and the safety of others who would be flying that day. After contemplating this, I quietly expressed thanks to Heavenly Father for trainers and dogs with wildly wagging tails who were there to bless my life. As mundane as that might sound to you, it was an enriching feeling, one that I have thought of frequently. Looking for blessings in the now or the present moments of your life is an important part of practicing gratitude. Number five, thoughtful prayer. Prayer awakens our grateful heart. Forgetfulness is an obstacle to being grateful, while awareness is a precondition to having a grateful heart. Our personal prayers provide us with sacred time to ponder our blessings and express gratitude to Heavenly Father. As we thank Him daily, our gratitude should be centered in God's greatest gift to us, the gift of His beloved Son who ransomed us through the shedding of His blood. Brothers and sisters, gratitude and the practice of gratitude is a gift of the Spirit, and it has spiritual power. May we have hearts that can feel and ears that can hear and eyes that can see our blessings and live in continual gratitude toward God and those around us is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was gratitude and happiness with thoughts from Elder Larry Lawrence and Dr. Ray Huntington. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. 
Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.